Hello, welcome to the Midnight Film Review Podcast. I'm Colin Smith, and with me is this guy named... Brian Stevens. I did not... Usually you are, like, crazy creative, saying yeah. weird stuff. I'm just... I'm putting you on the spot. That I guess was... I'm thrown off because there's no possum this week, folks. Yeah, I know. Wow, what the heck's going on? Your ears are not going to be invaded by rage-filled growls and grunts <laughs> and groans and... Thanks to my beautiful, lovely wife for controlling my possum. <laughs> <laughs> She's the only one who can wrangle it. Only one. <laughs> uh, we've got we've got a fun show for you this week. Um, we're going to start off uh, talking about The Rock uh, with the news that uh, he has he has become the, the golden child, and it's kind of fitting because we've we talked about him a few weeks ago yeah, and we've how blown a lot of smoke like, up his ass. Oh man, I mean all of it. <laughs> He's doing like a thousand movies in the next two years, uh, so yeah, what, we're gonna we're gonna touch on The Rock a little bit, you know, you know what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna touch The Rock, don't smoke it. <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> we're gonna do a little discussion on Pokemon Go and what that's all about because I'm playing it. Brian's not. Brian doesn't get it, uh, but it is a it is a phenomenon. And I've never seen anything like it before. So, we're going to do a little discussion of Pokemon Go. Uh, we're going to finish finish up with an email. And then move on to, uh, to some media hot takes. And finally, a review of The Shallows. Yeah, The Shallows. Didn't see that one coming, did going, you folks? Going deep on The Shallows. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I didn't see it coming. I don't really remember it, so. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, well, uh, Forbes and The Rock, if you've been on Reddit or any other big news aggregator today, you probably have read the announcement that he is now the highest paid actor in Hollywood. Boom. Dropping the bomb. Drop, dropping the, the rock bottom. He's <laughs> rock bottoming Hollywood. Yeah, I don't think he needs to. I He's think he bottoming just, out in Hollywood. I, I don't know where we're going with this anymore. <laughs> he just needs to smile and flex a little bit at him. Uh, so... I mean, if you'd have told me, I don't know, six years ago, how long has it been since he's, maybe a decade, I guess. It's been at least a decade. Close to a decade. Because, I mean, he was big at the end of the, what I feel like was the glory days of WWE, and then he left because they wouldn't let him. Do both. Do both. Yeah. Uh, And that, that, I mean, that had to be early 2000s, I'm guessing. You know, I guess an easy thing for us to do would be just to look it up. We could, um, but we could also just speculate and throw around totally unverified yeah. and <laughs> inaccurate numbers and statistics, because that's kind of our thing. Yeah, that is. Um, what, by the way, what just blew me away is I, I'm logging into IMDb and searching Dwayne Johnson, and of course, you know, some of these are pay-per-views that have been put on DVD, but he's credited for 107 acting roles. That is, that's serious. That's insane. Yeah. That's a lot of work. So, um, you know, I'm going back to, I, I want to talk about this future, or his uh, feature film debut, which was, I believe, The Mummy, and, or The Scorpion King, or rather. Uh, that was 2002. Was it, wait, wasn't he in a Mummy film first? He was though? in The Mummy Returns as yeah. Scorpion King. That yeah. was 2001. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, but his, his leading, his first was, leading role? Was 2002. Yeah, so that's pretty much what so, I thought. you know, 15 years. Uh-huh. Uh, if you told me 15 years ago <laughs> that this man would 
eventually become the highest paid actor and quite frankly the most bankable star yeah because we don't really have bankable stars in hollywood there's no one actor you can point to and say that guy is going to make you a hundred million dollars just by putting him in um I, i guess the closest would be kevin hart um I think it's a little early to say that. Probably. No, I agree, but it's just he has a track record of his movies making lots of money. The Ride Along too kind of, kind of squelched that. But I mean, um, The Rock literally almost every movie he's in now yeah. uh, is a blockbuster of some sort. Um, and it like San Andreas going back to last summer was I think seventh or eighth uh, top grossing film of the year. San Andreas. I'm, it, yeah, I'm shaking my head in disbelief right now. I believe you because I've seen the statistics and I know just, it's true. It's just silly because the, first of all, that movie is is nothing. It is it is just paper thin. It's just rock and CGI, but people love The Rock. I mean, and I love The Rock too. That's the thing is like yeah. I he he is transcendent in a lot of ways, uh, not just because of wrestling and acting, but just his general personality. Become, comes off so genuine and he's such a likable human being in person not that I met him but it just seems like everyone loves The Rock yeah he uh, I think it's being a celebrity now with the way social media and the internet and the paparazzi and 24 hour news cycle works I think it's easy to kind of be be off-putting you know mm-hmm. um and to maintain like the, the the sincerity that we all perceive in him, and just uh, kind of the the like down to earth, um, larger than life, but still a normal guy, juggling act that yeah. he's managed to pull off is is crazy. I agree. But, uh, I feel like that's how a lot of people felt about Arnold Schwarzenegger in the eighties and nineties before he became the governor and the affairs came out and all that. I feel like uh, it's very similar. Not just because they're huge hawking people, but I I feel like you know Arnold Schwarzenegger was generally known as a sweet, loving hawk of a of a man. You know, I think I I don't think it's quite the same. I mean, I think Arnold, you know, was he he had that draw and could play play a caricature of himself, be funny in his roles, but. At the same time, it, I mean, there wasn't... Arnold never had to deal with the amount of media exposure That's true. that The Rock did. Uh, probably. If, if that was the case, a lot of the stuff that yeah. came to light now would have came to light uh, sooner. And I, I also, I feel like, even watching something like Pumping Iron, which is... Yeah. It's a drama. You know it's a docudrama. Yeah. You know it's not real. <clears throat> and he is you know, fun and good-natured, but you can you can tell he's... He has an ego that has mm-hmm. driven him to this point. I mean, you don't become Mr. Right. Olympia seven times without having a serious ego. So, yeah. I don't know. I always felt like that was just kind of under the surface. And, and, I, and I mean, literally, uh, in, anybody who's ever worked with The Rock has never had a bad thing to say about him. Yeah. You know? Uh, it's, it's really miraculous to have somebody with that many eyeballs on them not to have some kind of smudge on the record. Um, and, I mean, that, that's just testament good for him. He's a good human being. Let a good human being be a good human being. And, I, you know, a lot of times people get to those points and people 
try to knock them off or, or hope for them. But I just, I've never felt that way about The Rock. Like, I've always felt like, man, good for that guy. He just, he seems to be uh, embracing his celebrity for good causes. For I mean, he just, and he's always got a, a positive a positive attitude, it seems like, about, about everything he does. Um, now, let's just segue a little bit into, like, his choice of movies. Um talked about San Andreas we kind of went over this before but um I think we both are interested maybe in seeing how CIA or I keep calling it CIA Central Intelligence it's just Central Intelligence yeah maybe in, maybe seeing how that is I, we talked about maybe reviewing it obviously we're not going to at this point but I mean it's top five grossing movie right now of the summer um 67% on Rotten Tomatoes which for like a buddy cop action comedy is fairly good. Yeah, I feel like for well, and, that and, genre does just not have, not have much to offer anymore. And you have to think it's not based on any other property; it's an original story. Yeah, so that's true. Uh, that's but, other huge. But that that is more it seems to be more of a money factor than a ratings factor. Yeah, right, right. Um, uh, but Furious Seven, I, he's all by all accounts going to be in Furious Eight. Um, we talked about him playing Shazam, the Journey movies. He's got two more of those coming out. A Baywatch movie, um, a San Andreas two. The, all these movies are action movies. Um, is and, and and I guess some comedic role. Jumanji, probably an action comedy. I'm guessing. Even I mean even his like I, I know I've seen the Tooth Fairy. Yeah. And even in stuff like that, it's. He makes it enjoyable, you know. It's he's just he's so charismatic. Um, he's able to do comedy and he's able to be a big tough badass action star, and do it's you, it's a you, super bankable combination. Do you see this trend continuing? Do you see him continuing to make? I mean, I think so. Considering he's bigger and leaner than he's ever been yeah. in his entire life, thanks to an incredibly expensive. Uh, cycle of probably five to ten different uh different performance enhancing yeah. drugs um so yeah i mean i <laughs> see i would love to see him take a role like he did in pain and gain which isn't a good movie but he is actually really good in that movie um not necessarily a straight dramatic role but just something that makes him flex his acting chops a little bit because I, I do think they're there it, that is a curious thing because you never really see him. I haven't seen San Andreas, but I haven't seen. I've also never seen him do a strictly dramatic role. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't really know. But I don't. I don't ever feel like his. I'm like, oh man, he's such a bad actor. It's. No. I'd be curious too. Yeah. Um, yeah. I. I mean. I, I would like to know. I mean, from our listeners, their their, their relationship with The Rock because. I know there's people who, and I, I'm I'm guilty of this. When San Andreas came out, I kind of rolled my eyes, but I still found myself renting it and watching it. And there was a part of me that wanted to go to the theater and see it just because of the spectacle of it. And I couldn't I couldn't I couldn't convince myself to drop down that money. But as soon as it came out on DVD, I immediately streamed it on Amazon. Um, so I, I'm curious. I mean, obviously he's got a huge fan base, but I'm just curious. Um, and in particular, uh, Adam across. 
across the pond. Just just out of curiosity, you know, what's his international draw? Yeah, any any non-American listeners, although all our robot listeners in India, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, let us know. I mean, do you know about The Rock? Do you care about The Rock? Because I feel like even beyond discussion of Dwayne Johnson specifically, I feel like the the action star as an idea is kind of something that has fallen by the wayside from a, mm-hmm. from a decade ago or two decades ago really was when it was still marketable and there just aren't that many of them left and I don't know what you know what kind of uh, kind of crossover they have to people who aren't American but yeah if, if you're not an American and you listen to this let us know what you think about The Rock Dwayne Johnson do you care do you like him is it you know MidnightFilmReview at gmail.com. Yeah. I think it's time. It's time to, to go. To catch them all. <laughs> I want to be the very best that no one ever was. Colin is salivating right now. Well, Snarling and growling. <laughs> You're just going through possum withdrawal. Oh, is that what it is? Okay. Uh-huh. I'm projecting. You are. So, if you've been living under a rock or in a bunker or a total media blackout for the last... Or on Mars. I think six days is when we'll say that the, the date range. Or on Mars, whatever that means, you weirdo. Um, Dr. Manhattan, or, you know, you could have been on... Yeah, making, making glass clocks. <laughs> we're getting Any, real nerdy. We're just, we're getting real pointless. Um, <laughs> more pointless than usual. Pokemon Go, it's a thing. You've heard of it. It's everywhere. Literally everywhere. Um... Maybe we should start by talking about what it is. So, yeah. if, again, you don't know, for some reason, this, this all seems pointless. Um, it is an augmented reality game. Uh, it's developed by Niantic, uh, and they sort of pioneered this genre. So, I don't know if you ever heard of Ingress before Pokemon Go. Mm-hmm. Uh, in- imagine um, the some of the core ideas of Pokemon Go so GPS based gameplay real world uh, event um, landmarks tied into uh, game mechanics that sort of thing oh I sorry I didn't hear you up. I did hear that they use that yes tech- right okay I yes. did read that so I've Ingress is one of those things where I kind of like read a lot about it one day trying to decide if I wanted to play and then it was late, and I didn't know anybody who played Ingress, mm-hmm. so I never went through with this, through with it. And this was probably a year ago. But uh, basically, there are two competing factions, and you fight a virtual war uh, in on your phone, uh, vying for control of specific geographic locations based on interacting with like nodes on the map and hacking them and deploying defensive items Mm. and it is it is uh it's one of those things where it's not mainstream but the people who are into it are very into it (laughs) and it looks honestly it looks like a lot of fun if you could break in and they're actually cincinnati is a pretty uh pretty active ingress player base um they're a, a handful of communities and they organize and it's just one of those things, like, if I think if you could get past 
feeling uncomfortable with the idea that are these people judging me and just yeah. have fun with it, yeah. it would be a blast. Like, <clears throat> you know, your team is like attacking this their node from this side and, you know, you, I don't know, f- flipping, flipping areas and fighting for control and then, yeah, it, it just, it always sounded like a lot of fun. Um, and Ingress is a lot more complicated than Pokemon Go. There's a lot... I think there are more node types. There's a lot more... There, there are just more nuances. It's a more complex game. It's also a competitive, team-based game. So you're you know, you're know trying to fight other people for control right. over things. Um, so what, what Niantic did is they took a lot of these... A lot of the portal data from, from Ingress... And they converted it into basically they're they're called Pokestops, Poke Center, something like that. Um, but that is kind of where the similarities between the games end. Um, they're both they both use GPS. Uh, they both um, are tied into Google Maps through uh, an API. I think Google is actually owns a stake in Niantic, um, and that's why they. Can you use Google Maps? That makes sense. I I don't. I'm I'm guessing. I'm guessing either knowing Google, knowing Alphabet, you can either like the APIs access the APIs free or you right. know whatever. It's just they they are the only ones. And I know there are other augmented reality games, but they're the only ones who have done this uh, successfully or on the scale that Ingress has reached. Nothing else is that popular. So. A year ago, or maybe like this past April, or I don't know, at some point Nintendo did an April Fool's video uh, that featured people playing an augmented reality Pokemon game. Oh, really? Um, and now it's reality. So the, the way the game's set up, there aren't a ton of features yet, honestly. You roam around um, looking for Pokemon. Uh, you can sort of track the Pokemon nearby you and try to find them specifically. There, there are areas that are predetermined, um, that are supposed to be like local landmarks or historic buildings or locations of importance mm-hmm. that reward you with items. And then there are locations that allow you to sort of battle other Pokemon trainers for control of the gym and get experience and you know, show off how, how ballin' you are. You know, flex your, your Pokemon master muscles, your EP in a little bit. And that's really what the game comes down to, is kind of those those three different things. Um, there's really not a lot to it. So how do we account for this game being so popular? That is the million-dollar question, I think. I, I so I guess as we dive into this a little bit more I you know the game sounds like it could be fun and addicting especially if there was some kind of if you had was having some kind of like competition among friends definitely um I don't understand like the level of like competitiveness though that I've read about or seen uh, honestly though like um, I think we're close to 20 million active users um, 
daily active users, which is like close to Twitter or it's like a, a huge number. Um, and but I, I honestly, I've been asking people I know, and I think you and Katie are the only people that I know that are actually playing the game. And when you think about it, 20 million out of you know however hundreds of million people that have access to the game, that's, that's a low number, but still, it's such a it's engulfed our culture so much. The zeitgeist is like filled; it's overflowing with yeah. with Pokemon Go. Um, whether you're on Instagram or Facebook, social media, or you know, you know, a flipbook uh, is giving me all kinds of like articles about Pokemon, even like. You know, in the news, Pokemon Go person in Missouri gets robbed because they're lured to a location. Like, yeah. it's stre- it's you know, or you know, we'll talk about this too. Like businesses posting signs saying, mm-hmm. "You can't come in here and use and play Pokemon unless you're a customer." Like, just. I, I mean, I think that's sort of a wink and a nod, you know, wink and a nod, whatever that expression is, like tongue in cheek. They're not, you know, totally serious. I. I have I read an article today where uh, kids were kicked out of a bathroom in a Panera because they were in in there in the bathroom three or four kids and they were training their Pokemon. Yeah, but that's all right. That's a little. That's not what we're talking about. That's a little I weird. Mean, it's and going to happen though. Oh, I mean, ho- more horrible stuff has already happened. Yeah. people have died in car accidents playing. That's true too. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, but I just don't. I mean, I. <sighs> I've, I'll be honest. Like, there's I have no there's no nostalgia for Pokemon. Uh, when it hit in the late '90s, early 2000s, I was too old. I feel to it to even uh, affect me. I mean, I knew what it was, but I it, I had no affinity for it at all. Um, so the nostalgia factor doesn't hit me. And uh, I I've just read so and had seen so many people online talking about like this is. This is their childhood again. And, um, you know, I've read an interesting article. Maybe you can shed some light on this. What's the creator's name of Pokemon? I don't I don't know. Uh, it's, I, it, you know, he's Japanese. Uh, I'll, I'll look it up. But his, this was his vision of Pokemon when he created it. Um, the article I read uh, basically said that when he created the game, he saw it as a way for eventually people, kids to leave their home. Um, because he said people were locked in their houses playing consoles, um, and just, they, they weren't experiencing the world. Um, I don't think he really necessarily saw this kind of, um, of explosion, but, um, to me it's interesting that this is, this is what he saw. Um, did you have, did you have find his name? Yeah, it's uh, oh man, where, where'd it go? Satoshi Tajiri. Satoshi Tajiri. Satoshi Tajiri. Yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, I, I don't know, man. Like, I've never seen anything like this. I've never seen so many people. Like, I mean, it's exploded. They're making millions of dollars. This is just insane, and it's weird because I feel kind of left out because I have no desire to do this well so there there are like so many different aspects i think of why this has become such a weird overnight almost like feverish phenomenon Mm. um for you know for a lot of people so i grew up in 
the 90s, but I was, I guess, like 11 when Pokemon released on Game Boy, and then the show started airing right around that time, maybe even before the game released. Um, 2001. I looked, I looked at stuff up today. Or no, it's, 99. It's, 99. It started airing in, yeah, I think even like a few, maybe a few weeks before the game came out, mm-hmm. 98, I thought. Uh, anyway, the I think I think what some people don't don't know is that in Japan the game preceded everything. Mm-hmm. So it was a game, yeah. and then it was adapted into right an, an anime series. Um, but being a kid growing up at like when Pokemon got popular, it was. And the at the '90s, so the '90s were a time of fads, right? Mm-hmm. We had like everything. We had pogs. Yeah. We had virtual pets. We had yo-yos. Like we had all sorts of fads, and I think some people thought Pokemon was going to be another fad, and it is. It is a cultural fixture in a lot of ways. Um, so the game. Is arguably is has been consistently called one of the best RPGs of all time, and maybe even the best Game Boy RPG uh, of all time. Uh, definitely up to that point, you know, before you had things like Golden Sun on Game Boy Advance. I don't know how much competition there was. Um, yeah, it it was just such an addictive formula um, that left a lot to the user. I mean, it was an open-world game before there were open-world games. Um, So I think the quality of the game was pretty important. But then the TV show and the marketing, I think, also made it... helped it catch on so quickly. But I used to wake up before school and watch cartoons, you know, like... Mm -hmm. Yeah, Wake up half an hour early and... As soon as Pokemon started airing, uh, and it would have been the first season, the the Kanto season, whatever, Indigo League, whatever you want to call it, because there have been so many seasons now, they have to like yeah, right. qualify how they did the American, whatever. Uh, I would watch the show. Um, I wasn't allowed to have video game consoles. Wow. So I saved up enough money to buy a Game Boy on the black market at school. <laughs> that is awesome. Uh, and a copy of that is awesome. Pokemon Fire Red uh, from somebody. Uh, and I would hide the Game Boy in my backpack and play it when I didn't think I would get caught, you know, like on the bus at the rec center. And everybody played Pokemon. Mm-hmm. Everybody had this game. Uh, and what was crazy is that it was... It was a comp- you could play it as a competitive multiplayer game, right? You can battle other people, right? So I was, you know, I was like the Pokemon champion of my bus. You know, I ran, I ran that Route Fifteen <laughs> bus, ran that shit. Uh, but it that was maybe one of my first experiences with multiplayer gaming, maybe the first, uh, or you know, competitive gaming or social gaming, something like that, and. I don't think I ever experienced anything like that since. I so I never played any of the subsequent game releases. I never followed the franchise after Kanto, after the first 151 Pokémon. Yeah. They're like 700 something now. Wow. Right? Um but 
you know, I always had an affection for the series um, and even the show to a certain extent. Like, it's fun and it's silly and it's not great. I've gone back and rewatched it, but it 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 still holds up somewhat and that and the nostalgia factor it's just like it's it will pokemon will always be a part of me just mm-hmm. because of those two years of my life it occupied yeah um and i think the nostalgia factor is a big driving force for a lot of this but i think the social factor is also important um i have a lot of trouble finding like any sort of video game to play with my girlfriend or things that even resemble video games to play with my girlfriend. And we've both been playing Pokemon Go together. And it's fun. Um, it's not crazy competitive, you know? I'm, I'm not having to explain mechanics to her or mm-hmm. right. I have to spend time grinding. You know, you go out and you look for Pokemon and you get excited. Like, oh my God, there's a Pokemon here like we don't have. We have to find it. Mm-hmm. Um and just so anything that I can sort of have have that experience with uh, being able to play a game with my significant other that we both enjoy is going to be a big draw for me um, but beyond that I, I just uh, I, you, you sort of have to take, take a leap I, I think still to explain why it's so popular I mean Nostalgia, the the fact that it's accessible, um, the fact that people it's accessible to the point where people of all ages can play it. People who don't usually play video games can understand the mechanics and yeah. play it and enjoy it. And then there sort of is a little bit of accommodation for the hardcore players still, uh, who drive around and capture gyms from other people, um, who you know grind and level their Pokemon to be, you know, the elite gym-stomping, unstoppable killing machines. Uh, so, for example, we, uh, we went out yesterday and went for a walk uh, around a, a square in Cincinnati where there are a bunch of little Pokestop locations. And there were two gyms we could see. And in the hour that we walked, those gyms changed hands back and forth probably five times. With when we weren't, we had nothing to do with it. We were just watching, um, th- you know. So, it's. Uh, uh, Vox has a great article too, by the way. For if there's anybody out there who is like me and whoa, is not super familiar with Pokemon, it's called Pokemon Go: Nine Questions About the Game You Were Too Embarrassed to Ask. Um, and that's that's where I got. So uh, real quick to go back. Um, in an interview with Time, <clears throat> in 1999, Tajiri told them, uh, places to catch insects are rare because of urbanization. Kids play inside their homes now, and a lot have forgotten about catching insects. So I had an idea. When I was making games, something clicked, and I decided to make a game with that concept. And uh, now people are actually really out catching stuff. That is true. He did develop He did develop a lot of the game by himself, and it did come from this weird childhood obsession of bug catching. Um, I do remember that. But one thing that um, I wanted you to address, and I think that, uh, so in this in this article, they ask two questions. One, is the game fun and good, and why is the game always crashing? Uh, 
to first address because the writer in this article says the game is fun but it's not particularly good um, and he has a way of explaining uh, why he thinks that they're crashing but what, 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 what do you think what are those two questions yeah, well so from somebody who's read a little bit and done a little bit of studying on game theory um, the game is fun and I wouldn't say it's not good I would say it is I, I don't know it there, there's not a lot of depth is how I would put it uh, and that's that's something that people have expressed concern about is a lack basically a lack of things to do in the game mm-hmm. uh, especially for power gamers and stuff like that um, I think some of these criticisms I don't think are really fair because nobody expected the game to become what it has become. <laughs> right. Yeah. Nobody expected yeah. people to be grinding to level, you know, player level twenty within the first three days. Uh, and there, I would, I really, really don't foresee a world in which they don't add and expand upon mechanics that people want. Uh, and that would be, they've already announced plans for a trading mechanic, um, in an official interview. Yeah. Uh, and they're going to add social features. I would be shocked if they didn't add um, competitive battle features, if they didn't improve the depth of the combat system. We, we're on day six of this game. Mm-hmm. They've they just pushed through an update for stability issues like yesterday and today, uh, and the reason it took so long is because it takes time to get uh, updates approved in through Google and through Apple distribution. Um, so yeah, right right now the game is fun, uh, but there's not a lot of depth there, uh, especially for the people who are. S- serious gamers and who are just grinding um, they're going to hit a wall soon but I don't think that's going to be the case going forward as far as stability issues uh, that is a two-pronged thing Um, nobody I mean we we can talk about it more but this is the most popular mobile game of all time within five days I don't know how you can plan for a server load like that uh, yeah, that's pretty But no, nobody, I mean, and all the people whining about that, like, I've played MMOs, uh, like, go back to, like, the Burning Crusade launch, or go back to Diablo 3 launch, and we're talking about Blizzard, who has more experience and understanding with server capacity and networking and bandwidth and volume of traffic than anybody else in the MMO genre and they still have server issues on launch day 48 hours out there's just no there's no mitigating that you you don't put assist an untested system online and not have problems right much less when it becomes the most popular game you know of all time yeah. on its platform immediately I mean that's and, kind of what the the Voxler kind of talks about like most any app, I mean, almost any app would have a build to this many users, and they would be able to slowly work out the kinks as they come. This was kind of like a smack in the face, like you're running around trying to figure out that this literally within days yeah. of release, not months. Yeah, uh, and most of the most of the <laughs> bad server issues were within the first first forty eight hours were fixed. 
like in most cases, and there are issues with people trying to use their Pokemon training Pokemon Trainers Club login, and that has as much to do with the Pokemon company and their backend authentication as it does with the game itself. So, people you know people are logging in through Google or through Apple have been pretty stable for mm-hmm. a few days. So, um. Is there anything else you want to touch on before we move on to the email with Pokemon Go? I just... So, I feel like part of the reason this has become so popular is because people feel like they're a part of something, really. Um, because if you look at the individual reasons, like, okay, it's getting it's getting me out of the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, it is allowing me to relive this childhood fantasy. Yeah. Uh, okay, it's allowing me to engage in an activity with somebody I don't really have much in common with or I don't I'm not successful like having fun with usually. Right, yeah, yeah. But I, though I don't think any of those on their own explain what we're seeing. Uh and I think the game has created even without social features has re- created this crazy sense of community and of shared culture. And that I think that's the only way that we can explain something like you have your phone out you're walking around looking for Pokemon and you look up and you see somebody else looking down at their phone and hunting for Pokemon and you feel even though you're not talking they might not have even seen you you feel a validation you feel a connection with them um, or you're stopped at a at a Pokestop and you see somebody drive up put their blinkers on and pull over and you look in the passenger seat, and they're playing the game, and then they, they drive away. And you're like, oh, that person's war driving for Pokemon. <laughs> um, so I, I just, I think the... I think the, the sense of shared experience or the, the culture of this game is, is really cool. It's, I've never seen anything like this. And, I, it, you know, that, that's the case because of the design of the game, because it's an augmented reality game that forces you to congregate in certain locations. Yeah, right. Uh, because the game's so accessible, uh, you know, there's no... It's not a violent game, it's a free game. You don't really need... Depending on where you live uh, and what sort of travel accommodations you have, you don't really need to spend money on the game. Mm-hmm. There's no pay-to-win system. Um, I just, you know... P- critique the game all you want, and... Yes, I I don't think that it's going to sustain this this momentum, this this like feverish obsession yeah. that uh, has happened over the last couple of days. But I I just I, it's it's cool like seeing this seeing this thing and being a part of it, and I've I just don't ever I've never seen anything like this before. Um, now I I showed I showed Brian I have texts from my mom who works on a college campus, uh, and it's just a picture of the quad and probably like fifty people, you know, at various points just playing Pokemon, <laughs> and then she said she sent me a text that said I guess the quad is a hot spot for lures. How does she know what a lure is? My mom who is you know she's a she's a middle aged computer using mom you know she's never played this game mm-hmm. but. She, she even is like familiar with the terminology from the jargon from the game itself. Like that, 
how does that happen? It, this, it's so weird and so infectious. So. It's, it's permeating everything I think we do for the last week. Yeah, and the, you know, while it might not be as popular as it is now or it might lose momentum, the game's released in four regions so far. It's not released in the UK. It's not released in anywhere in Europe except for Germany. It released in Germany today. It's not released in Japan. It's not released in Asia. Not released in Canada. So, I just... I I would really be surprised if this does not become the most popular game or the most popular app of all time. Yeah, I, mean, I agree. I it's, agree. It's, and it's crazy. It's, uh, you know... So, anyway... It's exciting, even if I think it's exciting, even if you don't play, just to see this weird obsession that you know is, and it's getting mainstream media coverage. So, yeah, we don't have to talk about it anymore. I, I, I sense you're bored. You're jealous of my Pokemon mastery. You're talking to the crowd. I, I, I'm, I, I can listen to you talk about just the joy that it brings brings you. The, the face, uh-huh. your face just lights up. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, I, you know, I'm almost, I, I would say I'm having as much fun, like, reading about what the game is doing and how people perceive it as I am actually playing it, uh, you know? I mean, it's nice to see people come together, and, and I've, I, in Vox, the, that article talks about how, um, people are actually, uh, using it as a way to break down, uh, anti-social dis- disorders or yeah. anxiety disorders sure um, and that's cool I mean that's that, that's a great great thing yeah I mean businesses I, businesses are getting in on it at, so at my gym like my real life gym where I lift weights um, there are two Pocus stops outside and then there's a gym a Pokemon gym in the game nearby and they have flyers out uh, in front of the gym that say Pokemon trainer looking for a real gym and they have special offers for Pokemon cool. trainers with you know a month free and no yeah, money down that's cool like the, there's a restaurant in Hyde Park where there's a Pokestop and they had on their little chalkboard out, outside like Pokemon trainers welcome you know this is Pokestop come on in and enjoy food and catch Pokemon that's you know? awesome yeah I've seen a bunch of bunch of things like that not on the internet in actual you know real life so yeah it's it's an addiction. Uh, Gotta go to rehab. Not not for me, but for you know for America right now. So all right, Amy. Winehouse. Anyway, well, yeah. <laughs> oh, what an awful, awful thing. <laughs> well, let's segue into some more m- morality. Yeah. All right. So we got another email from Brian. Brian Alford. He said, "Hey guys, a little morality question for you." I live in a town that, as of last summer, does not have a movie theater. Uh, it was torn down to build a department store. Oh, that hurts. Who? Yeah, what? Who? <laughs> who? What investor was like, movie theater, gotta go, department store, way of the future, <laughs> see? <laughs> Revolutionize <laughs> the retail experience. It's, it's the future. Um, <laughs> department store. Oh, my God. Like JC Penny and, and Macy's are reporting losses like every quarter. Right? Sears just is closing yeah. down like seventy stores yeah. in, in Ohio. Brian, we're <laughs> we're so sorry. Yeah, dude. Sorry, uh, man. 
Then anyway, he goes on to say the nearest movie theater is almost an hour away, uh, away, and only open in the summer. What? Who? What? Why? I've never even heard of something like that. Why would you have a property and maintain it only to use it a few? You know. All right. Whatever. I'm just gonna. My question is that with this lack of options, is it okay to use sites like Kodi, uh, etc., to stream movies that are currently in theaters? I don't feel good about doing this, but I want to see these movies, and driving to the movies once a week is just unrealistic, especially with kids. Sorry for the longness of the email. Just like to hear your thoughts. Um, Never apologize for writing in, Brian. Yeah. Never. That And that was not a long email, by the way. No. Uh, so, I feel like... This is a tricky question. It's Well, it, it, is, it is tricky. I'm, I mean, Brian, to be fair, I have pirated so much stuff in my life <laughs> there's no way I'm going to tell you to feel bad about doing this uh, see this, so sorry I didn't mean to cut you off no I, I, I feel like uh, so coming from somebody who made a film granted I had no uh, there was no dreams of monetary uh, gain coming from this it was pure, purely, purely fun you know the thought of someone seeing my film or seeing my movie uh, brings me joy. So I would, I mean, freaking love people to pirate that crap. I would give it away free if I had the ability to, you know. Um, and I, I, I understand like the debate you have within. And this is going to sound like I feel like this is bad. I shouldn't say this, but a part of me, I have less. I I feel less bad. <laughs> about you pirating a movie like uh, the Ghostbusters than a movie like Green Room. Um, Just because uh, they're going to make their money without you um, and Green Room needs your eyeballs. So I'm not trying to qualify like what's bad and what's good because, I mean, technically, as far as the law is concerned, pirating is bad. And I think that no studio would say they were happy with what you're doing. But uh, there's a certain part of me that says, like, uh, you know, you want to you you want to give these people your money. There's just not a valid way to do it. And I could and, and going back to Pokemon, I mean, imagine not being able to enjoy that in the same time period as everyone else. So you 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 exist in I what I feel is an anomaly in, in America at least I hope uh, where you know everyone is talking about you know, Ghostbusters I'm just saying that because that's the next big release coming out yeah and they're looking forward to going and seeing it maybe even a midnight show like this is I mean being a part of something like you were talking about Pokemon Go enjoying this cultural uh, phenomena. But you can't because it is impractical for you to travel an hour to see a film and find a babysitter and pay, you know, uh, 20 bucks just for the tickets and then drive an hour home after the film. It just I I don't I wouldn't lose sleep over it. And I know that's probably not the right answer, but I don't know. I I mean, we're not talking about something that's 
I mean, mala in se, it's mala prohibita. It's, <laughs> it's illegal not because there is, you know, some universal moral understanding. It's illegal because the law says it's illegal. Uh, I mean, you know, when it comes down to it, I, I just, uh, everything, everything that I tell myself is just mental gymnastics, you know, and we could, so let's, I steal something, right? Here's, here's what used to go through my mind. Well, these companies are still posting record profits year after year. Movies still make more money every year than the year before it. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody, nobody is hurting. And the people that actually pirate films is, are a tiny, tiny minority. Um, most people still go see movies in theaters. Most people still buy copies of them. The people who pirate are not, do not really seem to be affecting the bottom line for these companies. And there have been scares about piracy since the first VHS players and recorders hit the, the home yeah, markets. Yeah, you're you know? absolutely right, yeah. Uh, these companies have been fighting basically any sort of recording, copying, distribution methods tooth and nail and decrying that it's the end of their industry yeah. for, for like 40 years at this point. DVR. Uh, TV, they, fought, they fought against DVR. So I just... It, and again, this is just mental gymnastics. I'm still stealing something that... I should be paying for, but I don't lose sleep over it. And then it's not really the case for film so much, but as far as games go, um, and as far as music, although not to a certain extent anymore, but games, if something is really worthwhile, I do find myself buying it eventually. Um, a great example is the Shadowrun reboot. A couple years ago, I played it, beat everything about it, uh, and then when they announced there was a DLC, I waited until the DLC came out, and then I bought the game and the DLC with it. Uh, and I'm I'm actually where I am sort of against piracy is when I feel like my theft is not affecting some billion dollar eight headed multinational hydra that yeah my I can't possibly hurt economically when I'm you know rather than when I would be stealing something from an indie developer right uh, or if you know if you're talking about pirating a music that this artist has you know set up their own distribution system for they're not doing it through you know something like that I think that's different but uh, I will sorry go ahead yeah otherwise I just I'm I'm I've, I've logicked myself into a place where I'm okay stealing in a lot of stealing media content in a lot of circumstances. Uh, and and here, here's the thing. To be honest with you, though, I don't do a lot of pirating. Uh, in fact, I can't really... I think it's hard for me to remember the last time I... Especially a movie. Um, it, the only time I really get frustrated and do it is if it's a older movie that... Uh, I, Amazon doesn't have it to rent. It's not on Netflix, not on HBO Go. I have. I can't really find it. Then I will do it. That's a easy way to find a movie is to torrent. Um, and that's the other thing is I, 
I do kind of feel shady about sites like Cody or some other streaming movie sites in particular that I'm not going to mention because they do make money off of these um, just by going to their site. You're giving them advertising dollars. So, I mean, I have less uh, torrenting. I feel better about than actual streaming um, these these movies because people aren't making profits off of your streaming, whereas torrents, it's less liable option to make money. That's one thing I will say. I don't know. What do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean... Uh, that so that's a whole that's like a whole separate issue whether you should feel bad about your piracy because somebody else is profiting from it. Well, I mean, I see. So here's my thing: is like I and I think I just I so file sharing became uh, really became an issue when because you know Napster was was saying, listen, there's what's the difference between me buying something and then giving it a copy of it to my friend, which I'm technically allowed to do as long as I'm not doing it for profit. I can make a mixtape. I can do these things and give it to somebody else as long as I'm not selling it. I don't think that's true. It, yeah, it's so, it's, it's really, as long, as long as you're using it for, as you're not gain, gaining money from it, you're allowed to, to, to do, to do those but, things. I mean, I, I'm, I can tell you that's not the case for software. Maybe it is for other media. I, well, yes, I think as far as software and um, um, live events, so like sporting okay. events, all right, uh, you you can redistribute yeah. those. But I'm almost positive if okay. you if you buy a pro- so if I buy a DVD, if I buy a, uh, a, a an album, I can I mean I can copy them as long as I'm not. Mass mass distributing them, mm-hmm. which is, is that's the new law that came with like so so that we had to make a new law because Napster was like exploiting the old law yeah. and um, and now it's there, there's nuances in there about physical properties. So anyways, the reason I bring that up is because I don't feel bad uh, if as long as someone is not making money. That's my point. As long as I'm not if someone is not exploiting theft for gain I have less of a problem with it then again you know without those advertising revenue coming in maybe they wouldn't be able to pay for you know their dude to go into the and oh I thought you were say the dude to go into well. the, the cinema and <laughs> record it I mean if you a lot so a lot of the the people at the the very beginning of the chain on release groups are they don't don't get paid for doing it no, they I, enjoy doing it yeah it's it's, it's like a thrill thrill yeah, yeah. for sure so it, and with you know software too like being the first to get uh like oh, a, right. an installable build for something and being the first to crack it like there there's like they they have like prestige you know like yeah that and that makes sense uh yeah. razor 1911 is the best release release group for you know like yeah and they they they're like communities and they come and go. Anyway, we're totally sorry. Off sorry to get off. Brian, great email though, and I think. Yeah. Um, um, do you have anything else you want to add to this? I, I think no. it's, it's a very, I, I feel bad for you. Um, I think if nothing else, you should be allowed to do this. Yeah, that's dude. That's absurd. Your your situation is absurd. Uh, there there are very few films that I would bother going to, driving an hour, 
And I mean, you're you're limited to the summer too. I don't even I don't even know what to say about that. Don't feel bad. Uh, well, I I say let's move on to some media hot takes. Let's do it. Be right back. Hold on to us. With media hot takes. God, that never gets old. It never does. Not sponsored by the possum this week, thank God. <laughs> no, we're not sponsored. What, what are we sponsored by this week? Uh, you know what? Pokemon Go? I, I guess. <laughs> we can only dream we got that, that kind of cachet. <laughs> Someday we'll give up and stop dreaming. That's what I was going to say. Uh, you want to go first? You, yeah. You have a couple things, so maybe you yeah, go. Well, I'm, I'm going to combine these. Oh, okay. If that's okay. It's a bold move, Cotton. Uh, and the only reason I'm going to, because I don't really want to talk about this first part too long because I'm, I'm and the only reason I really want to talk about it is because I'm bitter because I got sucked in. I should have known better. I, I mentioned this you earlier. You should have. Uh, I saw an ad on Facebook of all places for. Red, <laughs> red flag number one. Red flag number one for the, fa- uh, for the History Channel's um, two night special. Um, D.B. Cooper, case closed, question mark. So it aired Sunday and Monday. I recorded Sunday and watched watched it Monday, back to back with uh, the new the new episode that aired on Monday. So uh, it's four hours technically, but I fast forward through the commercials, obviously. Um, and the reason I'm so angry about this is because the first half was so compelling, and the second half was just utter uh, bullshit. And I should have known better because, like I said, it's History Channel, and they can't do anything without. I mean, this is the sh- this is the channel that has like ancient aliens and finding Bigfoot, like just silly stuff. It's not really history anymore. Um, but what was so compelling is, I mean, if anybody, if you know anything about DB Cooper, he hijacked a seven forty seven in nineteen seventy one. Um, he uh, asked for $200,000, hundred dollars, was given two hundred thousand dollars. Uh, and then parachuted uh, out the back of the plane and was never caught. Um, body was never found. Parachute was never found. Um, two months later, six thousand uh, dollars of the of the two hundred thousand was found buried on a beach twenty two miles south of where he uh, they believe that he parachuted. And the premise of the show is. There's a new suspect that has never been revealed, and uh, History Channel has hired the former F director, assistant director of the FBI, and a famous crime investigator to search out whether or not these facts are true. This man is really the man. Is he the D- is he DB Cooper? And it all builds to an interview with the flight stewardess and the co-pilot who who dealt with. Um, D.B. Cooper. And what what is amazing about this was, well, they hadn't really spoken to the media in over 40 years. And it builds and it builds and they they show her a lineup of people with this new suspect in there. She doesn't identify D.B. Cooper. And then they show an interview and they ask her, do these mannerisms, does his voice, does his eyes, do they resemble D.B. Cooper? And she says, no, no, 
So you waste three and a half hours of your life building a case, making you think, wow, this could this guy fits the mold. This could be him. Only to find out it's not. So literally, they could have just went straight to her with this evidence and said, is this the person? And she could have just said no, and they would have wasted time of traveling, interviewing other people. And me watching this. You know, before you sit down and watch something like this, you really should ask yourself, if they had ample or actionable evidence, wouldn't law enforcement have stepped in already? Well, can I can I say something about that? Because uh-huh. you're right. I, I agree with what you're saying. Yeah. But part of this show and part of the advertising why I got sucked in was it had this whole thing about the FBI is going to make a huge announcement after the airing of, of this show. And they did. They announced that the case is now officially... That we give up. Yes, basically. They announced. And, which is another, like, oh, really? Like, <laughs> seriously? That's the big announcement? Come on, guys. Alright, so I just wanted to vent a little bit about that. You got trolled pretty I, hard by the History I Channel. I did. And I, I wasted an entire day of my life watching this. Um, though, But so, anyways, I wanted... The reason I want to talk about that is because I was very angry but I also wanted to talk about a show uh, that is uh, about a crime that is fake that is not real and is way more engaging way more fulfilling than anything you can see on the History Channel and that's The Night Of Um, so the hour and 20 minute uh, premiere um, happened Sunday night um, and this what's interesting about this show is it was filmed um, most for, for the most part in 2000, uh, I think 13, uh, maybe maybe 2012, 2013, and it was originally supposed to star James Gandolfini, um, but he passed away, couldn't finish the filming, so they inserted John Turturro to take his part. So they reshot all the the scenes that had Gandolfini uh, with Turturro, um, but so the premise of the show is. Uh, a young um, I believe he is Pakistani uh, I can't can't remember I believe yeah I th- I'm almost positive he's um, he's yeah he's Pakistani uh, Nas is his name he steals his father's cab because he wants to go to a party um, with some basketball players at the college um, and he sees this as an opportunity to maybe get into the in crowd, meet some girls. Um, and he he doesn't have a way to this party, so he takes his dad's cab. Well, um, he can't. He doesn't know how to work the cab, uh, so he can't. He can't figure out how to turn off the light, um, the uh, the on, on duty, off duty light. So the light is on. A girl gets in the back of his cab. She just happens to be very attractive. And instead of telling her to get out, he offers to give her a ride. And they end up having a fun night filled with cocaine and ecstasy and alcohol and pretty much everything he was looking for at this party he finds in this woman. Um, she's crazy. She's wild. Excuse me. There She, she just showed up. Yeah. Um, and um, they have sex. It's basically the best night of his life. He wakes up early in the morning and realizes, I've got to get this cab home. I'm going to be in trouble. So he he wakes up at the kitchen table, and he goes upstairs, and he finds her 
mutilated body. And then he proceeds to make a series of poor decisions. Now, I don't want to go any further. That's This all happens within the first 20 minutes of the episode. So I don't feel like I'm spoiling anything. And if you've seen any of the previews for it, it the whole idea is the night of this murder. And so I, I, I found myself um, watching this again and trying to look for clues and, because there's very blatant long shots on certain things. There's very... Uh, specific shots. Uh, for instance, there's shots from security cameras. Um, there's timestamps. There's just random things that make this show very intriguing. Um, and here's the thing. You don't know if he did it. You believe that he, he didn't, but they give you a time gap of when this crime was committed, so you don't know if he did it or not. Um, the writing has been questioned. Um, uh, I kind of tend to agree with Alan Sepinwall's take that the writing um, is just okay, but that the direction and act acting is just so phenomenal that it brings attention to a script that might not be a hundred percent. Doesn't make it doesn't make a lot of coherent sense. Like the decisions that he makes are just. You just, I mean, I, I guess maybe if you were drugged out and drunk, maybe you would make some of these decisions, but there are some really silly decisions that he makes that lead to a convenient uh, plot points. But he, the, the tension is so thick. He is such a great actor. Um, I guess I should probably uh, give props to the actor playing Nas. Um, give me one second. Sorry. This makes for excellent podcasting. Mm-hmm. Um, Totally prepared, yes. ready for action as usual. Uh, I mean, this cast is so huge too. Um, there's people from The Wire. There's people from uh, Deadwood. I, I mean, it's a huge cast, and I can't fight. Here's the thing: he's he's not even listed on the top billing, which is weird to me. I don't know if that's on purpose um, or not. But uh, I will find the actor's name, uh, and I will apologize next week. But he is tremendous. Um, John Turturro doesn't even show up until like the last 20 minutes of the episode and he makes a grand entrance and it is um, it is special um, I would definitely recommend it uh, this kind of feels like last summer's uh, Mr. Robot was like a huge hit and um, by the way that that season 2 premieres this week um, so yeah, it's the night of. I, I would recommend watching it. At least so far, the first episode has been mind-blowing. Interesting. The night of. night of. All right. Well, and now for something completely different. Um, <laughs> so, I've, I've held off on this a little while, but uh, I, I think it's time to tell you to go out and find a way to watch Rick and Morty. Um <laughs> It's an animated show that, like, IMDb and Wiki say sitcom, I guess, in a weird, twisted sort of way. It, yeah. it totally is a sitcom. Um, so it's, it was created by Justin Roiland and Dan Harmon of Community Fame. Um, it airs on Adult Swim. The third season is going to air sometime this year. Uh, I don't know if there is a release date yet. Um but 
it's it's something that uh, Royland and Harmon started working on. They started collaborating a long time ago after uh, Harmon saw one of Royland's uh, a, a pretty offensive short, <laughs> sort of making fun of Back to the Future, um, and work work actually started when Harmon was fired from uh, Community in 2012. So that's when they started making this thing. Uh, I'll, I'll just read a little plot synopsis. It's The series follows the misadventures of alcoholic scientist Rick and his easily influenced grandson Morty, who split their time between domestic family life and interdimensional travel. Um, and that is sort of like a tip of the iceberg description. <laughs> yeah, uh, this... This show, it has elements of Back to the Future. Uh, it actually, even more so than Back to the Future, it reminds me a lot of Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Um, in that Rick is is just, wherever they go, he's already been there. He knows everything, and he's kind of disinterested and just, uh, you know, trying trying to fulfill his, his own agenda uh, and what have you. Uh, nothing sort of phases him. Um and it's, it's more than time travel, which is kind of why I think Doctor Who is... Although you, the show is obviously influenced very heavily by the <laughs> the deranged scientist and like impressionable young boy trope from Back to the Future. Uh, that's not really where, where it ends up in reality. Um, and then to balance out Rick and Morty and their adventures, uh, they're also... They live with Rick's parents, um, <laughs> and Rick's daughter and husband, um, voiced by Sarah Chalk and Chris Parnell, respectively. Uh, so you ha- you do have this contrast with these like zany intergalactic science fiction adventures, and then just kind of insane family dysfunction. Uh, between these two parents um it is one of the most brilliant shows I think I have ever seen uh and I didn't want to review it after just having seen the first season I I wanted to wait until I could see season two and season two gets away from sort of the some of the conceits of the first season um like Rick's alcoholism and sort of just dives into this universe they're creating. Um, it's the, the scope of the show is both huge and narrow. Um, the, the science fiction is top notch. Uh, and it is unapologetically offensive, uh, over the top. Um, but at the same time, there are really kind of poignant and sad and real moments. Um, the, the the satire and the commentary in the show is great. Uh, it it is one of the one of the best shows I think I've ever seen. Um, I think it's rated like number eight all time TV show on IMDb. That's something pretty like crazy. That. Uh, it has a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes 100% fresh it is just 
It is so good. Uh, some, <laughs> sometime I would like to I'd like to spend time talking about Adult Swim and just sort of this this crazy place for it, it seems like just totally uh, totally free f- uh, kind of f- television, you know? Um, yeah. Unfettered, creative, weird, whimsical television. Uh, Subversive. Like, it, it, I mean, there's nothing like it. And it's created some of the most important shows in my life. Uh, and it's it's like it's it's always there for me. Mm-hmm. You know, they're always making something new and groundbreaking and subversive. And, and like you said, like just giving creators uh, yeah. leeway to do what they do best. I mean, with the, again, I think we should save it. But you, you look at some of the big hits from Adult Swim and they might not have been... I mean, I imagine that they have to be commercially successful at some point because Adult Swim has mm-hmm. been around for so long. But, right. you know, like starting back with Space Ghost and uh, yeah. Aquatine, Aquatine yeah. and Sea Lab. Um, Metalocalypse. Yeah, I mean, Metalocalypse is even is even more recent. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just uh, Tim and Eric. I mean, nothing like Tim and Eric could exist anywhere but Adult Swim. Yeah, too many cooks. Um, which was just a weird, sh- you know. They have they produce short films yeah. too and air them. Uh, yeah, the Eric Andre show. Yeah, mm. that's the find of the century for me. Frisky Dingo. I, I mean, the list just goes on, but uh, it's there are Rick and Morty does so many genres so well that there's if you don't mind being offended or having your insecurities mocked a little bit um, <laughs> this show will take you places you weren't ready for and it is hilarious and smart all the way and the second season is better than the first uh, and I'm really looking forward to the third season they kind of end on a weird dark sad note for the second season which is you know not something you might expect I haven't seen it but I've heard that so we'll, we'll see where we'll see where it goes but uh, yeah, Rick and Morty, it's amazing. Check it out. Uh, we'll be right back with our spoiler-free review of The Shallows. It's time for Going Deep in the Shallows. <laughs> Our new segment where we just continually review the shallows. Yeah, over and over again. Every episode. <laughs> that doesn't sound awful. It doesn't. So, I feel like if you've seen the shallows, the trailer, then, you know, one of my criticisms before we ever saw the wow. movie... Wow, right off the jump. Here we go. ...is I was like, we saw the trailer and I was like, wow, I've just seen the entire film. Yeah. And uh, in retrospect, that was totally 100% accurate. <laughs> um, but I, at the same time, I don't think it gives the film credit. Uh, one of the reviewers we read said something like, this is not a great film, but it is a surprising film. Um because on the trailer and on paper, it just looks like it would be unbearably 
awful, like just unwatchable. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not. It's it's it has its moments. Uh, it's okay. Um, I think the overall it was uh, my expectations were low and then high and the film ends up somewhere in the middle I would give it like a C no pun intended (laughs) give it a C give it a C Uh, so real quick in case you don't know uh, I guess we should read from the IMDB yeah let's talk about the film a little bit a mere 200 yards from shore surfer Nancy is attacked by a great white shark with her short journey to safety becoming the ultimate contest of wills Yes. Um, so, real quick, I'll just give my, you know, brief uh, summation of the film. And I think you're pretty much... I, I liked it probably a little bit better than you. Um, the ending is just so awful, and we'll get there, but <laughs> it, it really kills the film. You know, we had, I had read that, you know, this is a great performance by Blake Lively, and shockingly, she is fantastic. Um, you know, I can't think of another actress um, that would take this role and be this good. Let me put it that way. That another actress that's going to be on her level. There's plenty of actresses that could, ref- could do that performance and probably do it better, but <laughs> there's not a lot of actresses that are going to take this role because of the type of movie it is. Yeah. So I think of her level of actress, uh, the level of actress she is, um, she did a, an excellent job uh, in this role. Um and really, uh, you know, the middle of the film is compelling and interesting. Um, it starts slow and finishes in a very bad way. Um, but there are parts of the movie that I found extremely compelling and interesting. And um, I think there was some real... They had some real uh, nuts and bolts uh, for a good story here. Um and a compelling claustrophobic movie. Um, it feels like it was heavily influenced by Open Water and Jaws, um, but and I think that's both to its credit and detriment. Um, it does weird things with the laws of physics and nature, but whatever. It's a film. We can get past that um, to an extent. Uh, but yeah, I would I would say that it's to me it's probably a C plus. Uh, movie, it's not something I'll ever revisit again. But I'm not I'm not upset I saw it. It's it's, it's a beautiful film too, um, and I think in the beginning we were kind of joking because it's like, look how beautiful Mexico is. Look how beautiful Blake Lively's body is. And yeah. Just how gorgeous this water is and the sea. It's just beauty upon beauty. And just look how pretty this is. Yeah, the I, I think the film is weakest when it's trying to give you context for what's happening. Yeah. Uh, like trying to establish Blake Lively's character, which is just so flat and cliched and boring and mm-hmm. painful. Uh, and the end of the film is really bad. It, both parts of the end of the film are really bad. Yeah. Um, but there, there's some good here. I, I just, I can't see myself recommending that anybody go out and see this. You know, mm-hmm. it's. If you really want to go see a movie, uh, it, this might not be your worst option. Um, sure. It's not particularly hard to watch or gory, I guess. Uh, you know, if you're worried about 
like a I don't know an over the top B movie violence and gore. It's it's not that kind of film. Um, there are some beautiful shots. I I found I felt like the editing was inconsistent, uh, and they do some weird time jump editing stuff that felt visually uncomfortable to me. But there are some really beautiful wide angle shots of the ocean and of surfing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some really, <laughs> uh, really just objectifying close up focus shots of Blake Lively's body. I mean, literally every part, we see every part of her body that yeah. isn't covered with a bathing suit. Um, every part, head to toe, ears, whatever. Like I'm being serious. Like the camera focuses on her ears. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but. I mean, I, I think there was I think there were elements of this film that I did find very visually appealing and interesting <laughs> and I enjoyed but it, it just kind of wasn't consistent with that um, I, I just, I, I feel like there's not a lot novel here her, her performance was good and some scenes I was impressed but then some scenes I kind of wasn't um, and it, it's really when she's just by herself being when there's no dialogue when she's not interacting with mm-hmm. people that she's her best in this yeah, film yeah agreed and and that's when the film's the best honestly yeah and that's when the film's the best um, I don't know I <laughs> I'm not upset that we reviewed it but uh I, I never thought we would be reviewing it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's it's weird for me. Um, but I just, I don't have, I don't feel super strongly about this film. I mean, it just... Yeah, I'm with you. I it don't... Wasn't, it wasn't great. It wasn't awful. The ending sucked, but there were some good parts, um, some interesting things. Uh, it's just it's just a weird mixed bag. I agree. I think we should get to that mixed bag. You want to go ahead and go to spoilers? Go deep on that mixed bag. Let's dive into that mixed bag. (laughs) Ayo! All right, we'll be right back with our our spoiler-filled review of The Shallows, starring Blake Lively's butt and breasts. (laughs) What? Honey! Wow! Are you kidding me? You just ruin it every time! I'll see you at home. Wait a second. Now, how would you not know that that was taking place? And we're back. Um, You've got ears and feet too. Yeah, they're. I mean, and like the gashed the, open leg. Yeah, the 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 shot where it's like she's in the left third of the frame, and then it's just like the focus is right on her like legs and ass and in the swimsuit, and then the, you got the ocean out of focus. Like, I'm like, it's you're it's it's good camera work, but it's so gross at the same time. It was like, like it made me feel so uncomfortable. Yeah, like just uncomfortable. It's like I like what I'm looking at, but I don't feel like I should be looking at it this intently. Like yeah. this is not comfortable at all. Like there's no context for this shot at all. Uh, it just it, it it felt like a Michael Bay shot, honestly. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Um, so. I want to get to the ending, but first, I kind of want to talk a little bit uh, about the beginning. Um, so, uh, the, the beginning, it starts out, she's in a truck, she's, like, they got the mobile phone, like, 
pictures off to the side, like, and that's like I, I'm and I'm really like, what have I gotten myself into here? Yeah, uh, her acting is subpar. Um, she's talking to somebody who apparently doesn't know English very well, like except when he does. To, yeah, it's just like he, he 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 does like the. He's like messy. I felt like he was messing with her. Yeah, yeah. Like, sort of. So the, the, I'm. Initially, like, what is going on? Or maybe this is just going to be how schlocky the movie is and cheesy and it's going to be good. And then you get to the middle part and it's there's real tension. And there's real, I feel like, there's real storytelling in a way. It's Because you're not really telling a story as much as you're, you're watching someone wither away on a rock um, and trying to survive. But to me, that was compelling. And then you get to the end, and it was just like, yep, my initial thoughts were correct. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, the attempts to build her character were just painful. Like, They're so clumsy. It's, yeah, and heavy-handed and just <laughs> hammy and bad. Uh, and... Like, I enjoyed the the movie from when she finds the whale to when she ends up on the rocks. But then I feel like the film didn't do enough. Like, her character doesn't take enough risks. There's too much... Too much... The, the film, like, stagnates, I guess. Too much um, waiting around. Yeah, too much inaction. Uh, I... I don't know. And, and the it's like, is this film trying to be like realistic and compelling in that way? Mm-hmm. Because it's about a great white shark hunting this person when there's like... A big old ass yeah, whale. A big, it's... a big whale, you know? Like, yeah. And I guess, honestly, um, from what I thought was happening is that there'd be more than one shark. Like, I don't know why I thought that. Because that would make sense. <laughs> That's, but, yeah. Uh... Yeah, it, it feel that's what I'm trying. I guess when I say like it, it's influenced by Jaws in a, a, a wrong way, because yeah. it, it's it's one one shark and it's it's like a smart shark too yeah, that yeah. plays with her. I guess I don't know. Yeah, it's like toying with her, because like, I kept thinking too like she's bleeding profusely from her leg. So I'm like, oh, she's gonna catch some of this blood in her jacket. She's going to toss it so that. The shark goes after the thing, and then she runs. There's also the bird, which we thought we both agreed that we thought she was sitting out to get attacked. Yeah, um, yeah. They so they do things to build build her character, build her character's intelligence or her character's resourcefulness, mm-hmm. uh, and have the audience invest that way. But then they don't really. It's like, aside from the medical context, they're like, yeah. nope, that's it. She has no other survival skills or any, you know. Yeah. Like, she doesn't... There there should have been, like... That's what the film should have been, is her trying to MacGyver and improvise her way off this rock. And she... She just gives up and... Puts, puts the seagull <laughs> on a surfboard and then fucks off. Like, yeah. nothing... You know, like, she spends all this time, like, and what does she do? She she recovers a camera to send a message in a bottle, sort of? Like, yeah. why does she risk her life for the camera in the first place? You know, there's... 
I'm thinking like, okay, she's going to find a way to get water from this rock. Nope. Okay, she's going to be forced to eat the seagull. Or, yeah, you, know, no. you, you know, do something. Yeah. Make a hard choice or fight for her survival that's, somehow. That's a good point. She never makes a hard choice. She, she never makes a hard choice. She doesn't, do, she doesn't do anything besides bandage her wounds and then swim to another place. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just... That's where this movie could have been different or fun or compelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought there was going to be more of it based on the trailer. Yeah. Uh, so I don't. So I don't know. I mean, it was fine. It's, you know. But let's okay. I, I feel like we're we're coming in. This might be our shortest review ever. Uh, but let's talk about that ending because we we talked a little bit about it afterwards over because it was so. Ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, uh, for a movie that's set up as serious as this movie is set up, have you ever seen a more ridiculous ending? I mean, I've seen ridiculous endings, but this movie is set up as a drama, uh, a thriller with high stakes, and the ending is just so preposterous. I, I just... I mean, I all I can do is try and reverse engineer it. Like they were like, okay, we can't, we can't, we we have to take the easy way out. We can't compromise the character. She can't die. She can't, you know, whatever, lose a leg or the the shark has to die. Like the audience has to be vindicated, mm-hmm. right? So they decide that, and they're like, well, we have nothing to work with here. Uh, and this is the best they could come up with to satisfy their the criteria of <laughs> she lives and shark dies, uh, and it doesn't feel. I think it's I think it's worse because you don't feel like the movie is going that way. You right, know? that's what I'm saying. In, in Jaws, you they're out there to kill the shark, right? Mm-hmm. She's fighting for survival and not particularly. You know, resourceful. Yeah. Uh, and then for her to suddenly come up with this plan, which is like which, on the spot, like it's. But then it nothing makes sense. So what did she even like, come up with? Like I, and that's that's <laughs> maybe the worst part is like I can't even begin to unravel the the end of this film because. For it to make any sense, I, we have to have missed some visual cue to explain why this chain that is a fixed length that's anchored at two points, when it becomes dislodged from the top point, suddenly shoots down. Uh, at an incredible rate. Yeah, at an incredible rate of speed. And somehow she an- so she anticipates it, right? Because uh-huh. she gets in position. Yeah. She anticipates it. And that is the the plan she's come up with. She's like, I know this chain is going to suddenly defy the laws of physics and the gravitational pull of the moon is going to cause this anomaly which <laughs> pulls me to the, the ocean floor at, you know, 50 miles an hour and the shark is going to chase me. And, and at the last second, I'm going to move out of the way and he's going to be impaled by a pile of rebarb. Uh, yeah, at the last second, I'm going to stop somehow and get to a safe distance to the side but the shark won't have time to stop and he's just gonna 
I mean, <laughs> do you, I, I just, you and I, I feel like you and I could sit around and there, somebody could say, hey, write the end of Shallows and give us a starting point of when the a shark starts attacking the buoy. And we could come up with 50 different endings and none of them would be that. I don't know how they came up with that ending. I, I honestly don't. Like, I don't know how that idea popped in their head. Like, I really don't get it. Like, I don't. Yeah, I mean, I feel like her fighting the shark and killing it in hand-to-hand combat <laughs> would, have been, would have been a more probable... I mean, it's it doesn't have to do with, like, being realistic or plaus- it plausible. It has to do with it making sense to my brain. <laughs> if my brain cannot, like, fathom what it just saw in the context of the film, then you have a problem. Like, yeah. I, can, I can understand, you know... It might not be plausible for her to jump on the shark's back and choke it to death, but at least if I saw that, I would understand visually what was going on. But instead, we have this weird scenario where I feel like I ha- there's something I missed because it just doesn't make any sense. It's confusing. Like That's what I'm saying. Like I don't know how they came up with it. Like It... We could watch a hundred, a hundred different versions of that film in different timelines and in different parallel universes, and I don't think they, we would ever see that ending again. Like it doesn't. I don't know how you were sitting around a, a writer's table and saying, "Okay, so this chain's attached. How about she times the break perfectly? She grabs it, it drags her quickly to the bottom, and at the last second, she realizes I'm going to move out of the way, and now the shark is going to just mouth first into rebarb." Well, the other thing is. The yeah, I mean, there's so many ways. Like the the shark has this hook in its mouth. I thought, like, somehow we're going to interlock the chain with the hook, hook on the shark's yeah. mouth, and it's gonna wound itself. Mm-hmm. And you know, I don't know, fucking something. But I I still don't understand how how they expect us to. How they explained or how they expect us to explain her being pulled to the bottom of the ocean. I mean, the rebar, at least at least I understand what happened there. I mean, it, it's totally doesn't it's totally impossible. Yeah. It you know, but at least I understand that the shark was swimming too fast and he impaled himself. Right. But the chain, I just <laughs> Like, do they really think people don't know what happens like with heavy objects in water like <laughs> I'm sorry they, they, they're like oh shit I forgot she's not on the top of a building and she's not going to be falling at terminal velocity I just <laughs> I don't I don't get it I don't oh, get it oh man I mean if you've seen this movie and you've listened this far like please send us an email and tell us what are we missing yeah what what happened like are we morons? Did this really just not make any sense and they didn't care? Midnightfilmreview at gmail.com. Yeah. I don't... I it's, don't it's baffling. I, I Yeah, it really is. And here, here's the other thing is they had an out. They had the whale blubber. They had the oil leaking. I mean, as ridiculous... Fire, oh, yeah. We forgot about the, the fire shark. As, as, <laughs> as ridiculous as that is, I mean, I would be more willing to buy that than what actually happened. What actually killed the shark? Uh, I mean, I, even then I was like, "What? Okay." And I really thought she was going to kill 
the shark with the flare gun. I thought that's what was going to happen. I see. I didn't even think they were gonna go that ridiculous with it because her character—they don't—they don't make her character smart enough to figure out a way to use the gun to kill. Use her, the yeah. gun to to you know have him like swallow a bunch of oil and then yeah, you know. So instead, they just. God, alter was... the law, the fundamental laws of <laughs> the universe uh, to have her. Yeah. Um, anything else you want to say about Shallows, or shall we move on? Shall I, we end this glorious episode? I just, I think I have been, I have spent more time trying to figure out what I saw in that climax than I have <laughs> contemplating any other part of the rest of the movie combined. Like. It's just, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I so I think Blake Lively too. Real quick, you know, I was trying to compare her to other actresses, um, and the one that kept popping up as far as ability and um, uh, potential for roles, I think she's a lot like Gwyneth Paltrow. I could see that as a valid comparison. I think one of Patro kind of got in over her head with some roles and she got lucky receiving some roles. Um, but, and I could see the same thing happening with Blake Lively. <clears throat> but I, I, I was impressed with her ability on this level. Um, she, yeah, I mean, she, she had some good scenes. I, so I don't really ever think of her as, I, I just, as a good or a bad actress, but. Right. It was. I guess it was kind of surprising when she was good in some scenes. Yeah. Maybe. Um, but I guess my, my, my whole reason I'm saying this is like I, I now uh, I hope that she could move on like to roles that aren't necessarily body uh, subjection subjection. Um, what, what am I looking for? The word words Ob- objectification. Ob- objectification of her body. Yes. Yeah. Um, and that she maybe uses and hones her talent a little bit to get roles that are better and smart. Yeah. Smarter and better. Um, anything else? No? Okay, so here's a... Here's... Somebody Somebody explains the, the end of the film. Oh, yeah, okay. okay let's hear so, this. While underwater, she notices the chain holding the boy to the spiked base. At the right moment, she gets a chain... On the hook stuck in the shark's side. This pulls her down towards the base as the shark chases her. Nope, that's not what happened. But that, even then, you're talking about like a pulley system where one end is attached to the shark, yeah, and one, one end is, is attached yeah. to her, and the fulcrum is the rock. Right. And that's not, I don't, it, that's not what happened. That's not what happened because the shark rips the hook out of his mouth. He gets caught on the buoy and he's moving around. And the hook comes out. So, yeah, that's wrong. Uh, yeah, I just... Uh, nice try, whoever's that. I mean, that makes more sense than what I saw, which was yeah. just absolutely yes. nothing to explain it. But <clears throat> then I was... Yeah. I I don't know. <laughs> Me either. I, I don't know either. <laughs> what what sort of world do we live in? <laughs> we, we live in the sort of world where they've rebooted Ghostbusters. That's, and we're going to see it next yeah. week. Yeah. Um, and we are going to give it a good review no matter what because we don't want to be viewed as misogynist. Yeah, well, I think it's I think it's more sexist than misogynist. Yes. But. Okay. Fine. So, yeah. so, so uh, spoiler warning: 
We like we liked Ghostbusters, even though we haven't seen it yet. <laughs> and if we if we didn't like it, it was for reasons that no, we can't even can't even really say that. <laughs> I mean, it's me? right now it's certified fresh at seventy five percent. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think. Uh, Here's what I foresee. I foresee it being a mediocre film. I mean, the but then so the the meta score is like you know six and a half or something mm-hmm. or it was. So it's it's a mediocre film that if you put it in the context of being a Ghostbusters film, falls far short right. of where it should be. But other than that, I you know, so. Well, I think that's gonna do it, Colin. Yep. Uh, we'll catch you on the flip side. Yeah, we'll be back making a thousand percent cents next week. Peace out.